Welcome back to Season 2 of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic Science Podcast, where we look forward to the new synthesis in the new millennium between faith, philosophy, and science. Welcome back, friends, to our first episode, our first full-length episode after the Society of Catholic Scientists Conference. This is Episode 63, That's So Second Millennium. I, it was a great conference. Uh, it was a great experience and so many things went just right. Um, there was one large thing that did not go just right. And that was, uh, yours truly's ability to, uh, set things up in the interview room for optimal audio quality. So we had, we recorded a number of interviews. We talked to, while we were there, we talked to Marine Conduct for an hour and a half. Um, it was a great talk, a great interview. Um, we talked to... Father Lawrence Mashia and Daniel Vandenberg at St. Vincent. They, they are at St. Vincent's College in Pennsylvania. And then we talked to Karen Oberg. Uh, so she's a member of the board. She didn't speak at this conference. We'll be releasing that interview after we release all the interviews of conference speakers. We have a couple of interviews coming up next week. Uh, we'll be talking to Sansoz de la Caille at Ohio University. She's an Ohio bobcat. She has an interesting life story in, in, in that. I'm looking forward to talking to her. And to uh, Benjamin Rybicki at the um, Henry Ford Cancer Institute in Detroit. So, as that in, might indicate, uh, we had a wide variety of people involved at the conference. Uh, we had this... So, what we're actually leading off with here is this panel discussion uh, that I uh, managed to arrange and, and two very interesting people volunteered to join us jeffrey woolard a cancer researcher at the university of toronto they give you know more full introductions of themselves at the beginning of the discussion and marissa newton a philosophy instructor at uh, the university of new england she teaches philosophy of science hence her interest in being at the scs conference welcome back to episode 63 of that's our second millennium broadcast well not live but recorded here at the society of catholic scientists conference 2019 at the university of Notre Dame. So this is my partner in crime, Bill Schmidt. Hello, Tom. And we're happy to be joined by Jeffrey Wooler and Marissa Newton, two of the attendees of the conference this year. So we're going to have a little panel discussion and break down the talks that we saw and uh, get enlightenment from people who are uh, going to bring a very different and probably superior perspective to uh, the <laughs> usual. <laughs> you've heard, Bill, you've heard Bill and I for a while. So yeah. why don't you introduce yourself real briefly for the, uh, for the audience? Um, sure, my name is Marissa Newton, and um, I teach philosophy of science at University of New England. I'm very interested in all the correlations between religion, science, and faith, and, and philosophy. Um, so this conference has been really enlightening for a number of reasons. I really feel privileged to be here. Yeah, yeah. We met last year, actually, at the one in D.C. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been great to, uh, to remake your acquaintance and hear yes, more, uh, more war stories from the front there in Maine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I know, if they're listening right now, I may not have a job next uh, week. But... <laughs> yeah, I, I, Just I, the likelihood that they're listening to this podcast is probably pretty slight. The Venn diagrams. Yeah, we have to be in nature. Yeah. What <laughs> Jeff? I'm Jeff Willard. I'm from the University of Toronto in Toronto, Canada. I'm a first-year PhD student in medical biophysics. Okay. So I'm using electron microscopes to determine the atomic structures of calcium ion channels. And today, uh, this conference I presented some work I've been doing on attitudes towards cancer. Yeah. Uh, why not live forever? Right. From uh, from books to bench to biotech to bedside. Mm -hmm. Text mm -hmm. from ranging that whole gamut of Okay. Did you present that poster on Friday? Or yeah, it's Friday. Oh, Friday. Yeah. Yeah. 
Can you actually see an electron through this microscope, or you can only you see the, it's the electrons? Hold, you, see. you are seeing the. Uh, you're basically doing a billion silicon experiment. Wow. There is one electron traveling at a time through that tabletop microscope column. It is going at like 0.7 the speed of light. Wow. It is diffracting, and then the magnetic lenses are gathering back together. Those wave functions are collapsing on the detector. Like, that's what you're seeing. That's, what you're that's doing. incredible. It's an amazing thing. That's awesome. incredible. And what yeah. does that look like to the naked eye that's not so naked? Well, you start to you zoom out, and you see this three millimeter, three millimeter diameter grid, mm. and then you zoom in, and you can do it continuously, mm -hmm. that's the one I've been using, and you see little speckles and dots, mm -hmm. and then you zoom in, and you zoom in, and that sort of new stage of lenses kicks in, and it has a little flicker, but basically it's continuous, and then oh. uh, you start to see fine structural detail of the mm. protein, yeah. and there, it's like looking at it from above. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Mm. And those electrons are pretty energetic, and they interact with that material pretty strongly. They they have a wavelength of uh, picometers, yeah. and you're resolving um, details uh, on the sort of nanometer, sub nanometer scale, uh, uh, with millions of, of copies of this identical object of this protein object, and then you have to realign them and average them together to get sharp details in the electron. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're looking at it in 3D. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, how do you know it? Yeah. Or, yeah. And of course, my, my research is on you know, X-ray diffractions, which is, of course, not quite as cool because you know, electrons are pretty, pretty awesome. They interact with matter much more strongly, so you don't need much of a diffracting volume for electrons. I'm sure you've got some electrons floating around in your X-ray diffraction. There are definitely some electrons. <laughs> you, yeah, you, you get, you get, get off the electrons. And then you're imaging the electrons. So oh, you're back wow. to what you were talking about. You're using oh. the X-rays basically to see where the electrons are. Oh. You have to be careful okay. for X-ray radiation from the electron microscope. Oh, really? Yeah. X-ray like guards. Your body. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. 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 We won't we won't turn this into a lecture on you know, <laughs> you know K, K alpha lines and you know, so forth. As, as fascinating and as much fun as I had when I'm teaching that, we'll move back to the conference. Um, so we have had a jam-packed couple of days here from Friday evening and the poster session through talks all day yesterday, culminating with Michael Flynn's um, wandering through uh, Western Germany in the uh, in the mid-14th century for uh, talking about Eichelheim and the science fiction book set in that, set in that era. Um, and then today we had three more talks and a poster session. So we had a, we had a lot of content, and it went all over the place. So uh, why don't we, why don't we just, you know, what, 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 were you, what was the most memorable moment for each of you? Say I really liked uh, Connor Cunningham's talk, um, <laughs> <laughs> although everyone said that was the most sporadic talk of the conference, which that's, it was. That's true. That's um, it was. That was a fair assessment. Yeah. Um, I really liked what he did, gathering together truth from all these different historical, philosophical sources. I mean, obviously he's not in favor of everything Nietzsche said. He's not in favor of everything Forbach said, but he definitely yeah. could pull the truth out of these different authors that are all searching for the same thing. I mean, ultimately searching for, for truth, even if they don't recognize it. And um, I really liked what he said about the Eucharist uh, being the only living thing that we eat. I'd have to talk to a biologist about plants, but I do think that 
um, this idea that it's yeah. fully alive, the yeah. <laughs> Eucharist yeah. as a body and blood of Christ, fully alive, that it really causes this really deep ontological change um, in us. I liked what he said about that. And then I also liked what he said about just getting back to the phenomena, like getting back to the things at hand, getting back to the sense of mystery and awe in front of what we encounter in nature. I, uh, well, there's so many good ones, and I want to put forward uh, one that could, it's like a hidden gem that right. might be one sort of Solis de la Calle's thought on yeah. neurobiology of emotions yeah. and the evidence of human interdependence, because it really brings together a lot of fields. Yeah. Uh, I think her last quote, oh, I forget who it was from, I'm going to ask her, but was something like the, the, the kind of rigor of science, the wisdom of a clinician, and uh, it's really important for us to be able um, to, in our, in our desire to know how nature works, shouldn't that help us relate to the natural world and restore harmony? And what, you know, what, what kind of better way than how we have bonding with each other? Yeah, I was, I was, uh, just the way she did it. You know, yeah. Next week, next time. Yeah, and we've been, uh, in the, actually in the course of the podcast over this year, we've been trying to talk a little bit more about that sort of boundary between science, faith, and uh, you can personal see, life. Yeah, you can see how yeah. someone who has common sense, someone who has a, has a big heart yeah. uh, that's, that's been nourished by their faith, mm-hmm. it will, um, an interesting experience will come to mind. It will help them in the hypothesis generation. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, it's not doesn't give you the answer. You have to right. sweat. You have to go out and measure. You have to read <laughs> yes. the papers. And yeah. Go stacks. But that, yeah, but that that moment of insight to give you the idea and then go and test, you know, that uh, you need to be in a certain state for those ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some research being guided by this kind of like very human uh, desire to help your fellow man to understand reality. But once the posters was kind of about that. Oh, really? Um, he was right across from where I have a mind from having a reading there. And he had one on, well, how is it, how would I do science differently than someone who has no faith? Uh-huh. Uh, his poster was about how to encode that in how we communicate science, how yeah. we write it up, mm-hmm. that it's something that's, that's not put our knowledge, our knowledge is in. We're not idolizing this knowledge. It's always connected closely with the person, me, the scientist, the generalist, how I relate with charity and the Sunday community, how I'm putting it out there for the benefit of the human community, and that helps purify it from uh, hyper competitiveness. Yeah. As if the science really isn't your own. I mean, God created the physical universe for all of us. So you're finding it, you're not creating it. There's a sense of humility. And, um, and probably and yeah. Mm-hmm. Did that come up in our conversation with the marine convict, or did that come up in her talk where she was talking about I made this fly? I almost think that was in our. I think it was you on her podcast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that was yeah. So that yeah. will be coming up when we yeah. But there's that certain attitude in science, and of course, in particular in biology. Yeah, I've encountered that before. Yeah. My my. Biochemistry lab, you know, rah, 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 let's go make DNA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
from, you must have to ask them, from what part that pre-exists? What is the side of the world? It helped me to understand the, the tendency toward atheism in science better than I had ever understood it before. God as a competitor, yeah. right, to what he would be, you know, he instilled, God instilled in us this desire to know more mm-hmm. and to have as much knowledge and control yeah. in, in, the, in the best stewardship sense. That's what Connor kind of is that, yeah, the tree of, the of knowledge. Right. We yeah. could grasp it, we could weaponize it behind God's back, we yeah. want to grab the gnosis right. instead of being taken up into theosis. Right. To learn to become like God. Right? Yeah. Right. Receive his call. Right. Yeah. We want to take the object of, we want to take the, you know, they say don't seek the consolations of God, the God of consolations. And we want to yeah. take the object yeah. and we idolize that, yeah. this knowledge. Yeah. I liked how he said that about the truth. Yeah, that's a good problem. Yeah, I thought so too. And there's room, you know, thinking about all the words and Solis was saying, but also Barsha um, Arnaz was saying. Oh, yes. Our previous practice. A few little while back. Um, there's a sense that can get, our sense with God can get tangled up with our sense with our parents. Mm-hmm. If we don't trust, you know, mm-hmm. our better for our parents to do right. that. And there are people who, who go through their experience life includes legitimately not being able to trust their parents. Right, yeah. right. And there are people whose life includes for reasons that are not their parents' fault or even do their parents actually doing anything wrong, they come to that conclusion that they can't trust their parents to do what's good for them. Right. And that, that sense of, yeah, I'm going to take this apple or I'm going to take this thing and put it in my pocket and save it for myself because I can't depend on right. it being provided to when I need it. Right. I think that attitude of openness is also the same attitude, the opposite of what you're talking about, this attitude of openness to whatever God has for you. It's the same attitude that that you need to have in terms of the natural world. That's another thing Connor was saying, I think, is that this attitude of total openness to the phenomena at hand, like letting things hate you as they are, rather than as your category, the categories you've already got in your mind are telling you they have to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a good point, that trust in God. Yeah. It's an important question. This is precisely what... Um, UK. Oh, Anathan? Or Amitha? Yeah. I almost think I heard him on Friday night say that his name was actually. So after that. Sorry. We're sorry about that. I was sitting beside Father Javier and he turned to me and he said, Well, how do you put those two talks together? And we were both pretty loud by his I mean, yeah. it's wow. I was wow. It was yeah. it's fascinating. It was fascinating. And so he, he, I sat down at lunch and he said, uh, and I asked him, so I put that, time you put what you're saying together for the first talk. Mm-hmm. And then he said, uh, well, it's just beyond me. Oh, did you understand any of it? And then we started talking about, um, you know, And he said, well, how do you do science differently? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an important question to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. I'm thinking about it all weekend. Yeah. Einstein said that the only true science can come from that motivation, the motivation to sort of delve into the, the mystery, you know, the mystery of God and the cosmos. Yeah. 
I think it really does have to do with how the primary division our relationship with conference. Mm -hmm. Logos in a way can only get us so far. Mm -hmm. yeah. Science can only get us so far. Right. But, but mythos, but purified, right. true mythos, revealed mythos, can take us beyond what we can know because it's beyond our grasp. It's too far back in the origins of where things are going in our destiny. How I, how I relate to everything. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you have a revealed faith, that depends on the other shelf properties. We have to be ready to accept that. If that's if that's how it has to be. If, if there's some critical component, we have to get that way. Yeah, and you can see this in Father Nicholas' talk on genealogy and Christmas. Mm -hmm. The intuition is developed. And, yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? What you made about um, this intuition he developed? Like, um, he was talking about the difference between secular biologics and Catholic biologics. Right. It's human dignity. Yes, yes. So intrinsic or extrinsic. what's in each of us, our capacities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The image of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, our intrinsic value versus what the, the world sees as the, our, you know, the extrinsic value of the person. Being able to yeah. break out of the technocratic paradigm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talked in a row so eloquently about. Mm, yeah. Put the human person at the center. Yeah. Otherwise, we get caught up in the logic of technology and it ends up ruling us and we become slaves. Right, right. The ending. I was trying to picture the ending of his talk was pretty powerful when he said, you know, we always have to have that the preferential, the, the uh, what's it called? The preferential option, option for, for the poor. poor. Mm, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. when doing oh. it, medicine. I think it's so important to remember. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot, too, about the purpose of medicine in terms of cancer research. Mm. Is it to... Am I a warrior in a war to kill death? Uh -huh. Is or, the purpose of, me of medicine to cure death? Or is it to heal sometimes yeah. and comfort always? Is the main thing love and and yeah. medical attention is a is a wonderful way to love. It's a loving mm -hmm. thing to do. How can I say? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, be well and go your way, and the person yeah. is starving and shivering. Right. 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 But in the end, love is the main thing. Mm. It's not uh, killing death, defeating death. Right. And putting that on your CD. Having, right. having <laughs> a this worldly yeah. this worldly existence. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mother Teresa would agree with you, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah with, she could have, with all the work she did, I mean, if she was trying to give people advanced chemotherapy and do um, all the stuff we do in, in our, my institution, I mean, we should probably get her treated like yeah. more people or something. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right. Like, what, 4,000. Right, yeah. right. And the folks in her residences, they don't necessarily want the latest dose of the latest chemotherapy, they want their hand held. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's contextual. They're passing away. And it's contextual. Yeah. It has to do with the resources on hand, mm -hmm. what's there, the family situation. Right. What is a loving thing to do? Mm -hmm. It depends. What's all the other things I have to take care of in my life? And yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's always, maybe that's... We, we can't escape that responsibility of, you know, we need enlightenment. We need to ask for that grace to see what the best thing is to do. And then we need to take the responsibility of doing the 
the pragmatic things to figure it out and do it and implement it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I asked that question at the end. I asked the question to Christopher Rom, who had a talk, Will Tissue Engineering Change Human Nature? I asked him, well, what is inside? What's really motivating people mm-hmm. who are in this field? Is it mm-hmm. the desire to live forever? Is it to to be, you know, is it to be an immortal? There's like these, uh, uh, there's a foundation that uh, is promoting sort of life extension research and there's kind of mainstream YouTube videos that talk about, well, maybe the the, the first immortal is already among us. Wow. Right? It's, right. it's not right. woo-woo stuff mm-hmm. out there. It's yeah. actually being it's, researched. Oh, people right are now. clicking on this and it has however many hundreds of thousands of views and yeah. they're giving... Ten dollars a month in crowdfunding campaigns. And, oh my gosh, that's yeah. amazing! It's, it's the real deal. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I asked them, "Well, what's inside of people? Is it is it the desire to take out and grasp and to be a winner, mm-hmm. and to or is it to is it to care? Is it to heal? Is it to love?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't. You can't always know that from the papers. Right, what's inside of people? What's motivating them? No. Right. No. We were talking about that the first night. What What is it that makes people want to cheat death so badly, too? What is it that makes people so inclined to want to live forever? And I, I asked, I was asking uh, Jeff the question, do you think it's because their life is so good they can't picture it ending? Do you think it's because they're afraid of death? Or it's, do you think it's because they think there really is nothing after this life? And I suppose either any of those three could be a motivation, but I wonder what's the dominant one, you know? Good yeah. question to ask colleagues at lunchtime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or over a coffee, one right. to one. Right, right. Sometimes, right. uh, yeah, they'll open up if uh, you have some space to talk. Mm-hmm. I know that what I mean by that is very different from what many people I work with mean by that. Mm-hmm. I think death is the just absolute end. Definitive yeah. mm-hmm. closure. I mean, I. what can I, what wisdom... Can I? How much can I really expect that we would agree yeah. on on certain issues if we have such a fundamental? I mean, I do want to live forever, mm. not yeah. not in a this worldly way, but I don't in want to way. stop existing. I, yeah. So it's yeah. just an interesting question. But it's because, pretty scary, right? If you, yeah, but I also wonder what what really baffles me is I mean, when you look at people like Camus who ask why don't people just commit suicide if there's no ultimate meaning in life. Um, then why are people who, who, uh, you know, don't believe there's anything afterwards, why are they trying so hard to extend their life on earth? Do they love it that much? And that's a good thing if that's the driving motivation, but I don't know if that's it. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I'll have to talk to some more people. Is it, is it purely on an instinctual level that, you know, I mean, this is the, you know, trying to look at it from that philosophical standpoint. Well, you know, I just have this desire because evolution put it into me, and you know, if my genes had voted right. for this desire to uh, to keep existing, then you know, my ancestors wouldn't have survived long enough to reproduce, and I wouldn't be here. Right. And I'm just, and I'm just a product of my genes anyway, and my, you know, my DNA is my master. So DNA and circumstances govern what I do anyway. So why should why should I worry about it? Right. Yeah. So I'm just, just going to do it. All the tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess to some degree, uh, death is the ultimate humiliation, oh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't get this this world right. I, 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 you know, losing losing this worldly life. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. But that's that's what's so refreshing about a conference 
like this, um, not humiliation, but hum- <laughs> but uh, 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 very wise. Exactly, <laughs> humiliation. Sure I'll finish it for you. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and with, with that humility, <laughs> one can uh, it opens up a lot of freedom for discussions mm-hmm. and for admission of you know not knowing everything and being able to ask questions in a very productive way and not trying to lord it over other people that you know more than they do, et cetera. And that's why I found it to be such a congenial uh, and collegial uh, experience. It's a a nice atmosphere here. I mean, it makes me remember, like, well, it's actually this that's normal, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) This is all gear, all all systems go, and when people are are kind of uh, locked into their... Their gizmos, and when they're yeah. when they're yeah. kind of uh, when they're cursed with uh, anxiety and stress, like mm-hmm. well, it's actually like maybe maybe a lot of the people I interact with are yeah. have have that kind of uh, yeah. uh, disequilibrium, and that's the mm-hmm. yeah. that's the thing that's off. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is what's normal. Yeah. yeah. I know it's only a small part of the year, but I look forward to it every year because it is it's such a treat to be around people that want to talk about ideas and are formed in their faith and very positive environment. And and I love that uh, several people echoed that sentiment at the membership meeting Mm -hmm. this afternoon, that this is something they look forward to all Mm -hmm. year round and that they would pay much larger uh, membership dues (laughs) in order to do it. And it would be kind of nice to be able to extend that into the rest of the year. When you're talking about, oh, how can we do this then? How can we have these sort of interactions? I know I got a whole bunch of people's emails to keep in touch. It's nice to keep in touch a little bit when you're in a place where there's no one else in your department that wants to talk about it. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely yeah. essential. Yeah. I met some possible writing buddies. Sorry. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's good to have collaboration. I mean, that's where I think so many of the biggest ideas in history came from collaborative efforts, right? Like, look at the early days of quantum physics. Those are all the you know, the German collaborators, right? Yeah. Like Paul yeah. Dirac. And yeah. You have to bounce your ideas off of somebody. Max yeah. Born. Yeah. Yeah, and they had to get together and yeah. walks together. They did skits. They did like they fun didn't eat skits. lunch on their laptops, right? <laughs> no, right. I don't yeah, think so. Exactly. Apparently, they did a skit making fun of Einstein at one of their Christmas no dinners way. together. No. Yeah, but he was a good sport about it. I think it was Einstein they were making fun of. Right. Hopefully, it wasn't Paul Ehrenfest because I think he committed suicide at some point. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, there could have been a lot of things behind that. Yeah. yeah. You can edit that part out if you want. Make Chris and Peter. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's also, and, you know, and, and, you know, I'm a geologist, so not an oppressive environment. It's not like being a person of faith in the in the hot house that is biology, from my understanding of it. I mean, I would just walk through the hall because they were on the first floor, and I was on the fourth floor at Illinois yeah. State. And I would walk through the hall on the first floor to go to the bathroom because the auditorium was down there if we had a colloquium. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's anti-religious creeds up on the wall. Really? All the way to the bathroom. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that was just the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, At my institution, at the University of that, I hope. <laughs> they, in the training I had, and the kind of, you go through these slides and healthy workplaces, they, they made uh, an emphasis on um, part of... Uh, being inclusive of diverse people mm-hmm. is letting people be themselves, including their religious identity. 
Yeah. And so they're very happy. They felt very supported. And, yeah. and they said, sort of, in a way, it was like, well, more and more people that have a faith identity are expressing that they experience workplace discrimination. Yeah. And, yeah. and it can be great. subtle sometimes. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. It doesn't have to subtle. be someone, uh, can be someone who just doesn't give you uh, space to be yourself. Right. Right. But I definitely yeah. don't uh, experience that. Yeah. Right yeah. Well, I was just, we just had aid. We just I work with a Muslim colleague, and they oh, have their cool. sort of post Ramadan. You are not allowed to fast on that day. You have to you feast. Have to have to eat. Eat. Oh, right. And right. so we brought all these oh, sweets. Cool. And, oh yeah. And yeah. yeah. A lot of the people I work with aren't. Oh, maybe they have right. a Muslim background, but they're right. believers or practicing. Uh huh. Yeah. But they're they have their memories of in their family mm-hmm. also having this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he can be himself, and he does better work because of it. Yeah, yeah. it's important. Yeah. My students all just went through Ramadan, my, my summer school students, because I teach ESL. Uh, anyway, so okay. I know that the, yeah. the same thing there, there's like a sense of openness about all these different faiths, which is nice to it's see. Yeah. It Spirituality is, is really it is. A, a it's respectable. part of our anthropology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's actually the part of being human rather than something that we should, you know, package up and minimize and push out the door as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even that, uh, as I was just bringing it up in the context of even going to geology conferences, where the culture is not that hostile to religion. There's some people who are, you know, believe that all religious people are, are young Earth creationists, and that's another story. But, um, but even then, I feel like I am kind of checking part of my identity at the door, mm-hmm. and I mean, some of that's my own personality, and I'm, I'm making more of it than I really, you know, would if I. <laughs> hadn't been through certain earlier experiences that I'm, I'm still sort of carrying with me. I, but. I know one, uh, one, well, I read a biography of one geologist, Catholic geologist, in mm-hmm. the University of Toronto, Yosef Svoboda. He is an interesting, he wrote his biography recently. I'm not going to give you that reference, but he went through a lot. He, he was thrown into communist gulag in his right. early 20s wow. because he did like ran a letter from A to B when he was in like first year university. And then six months later, uh-huh. that was just it. The next thing brought him in for that 10 years in the gulag, got a twenties uh-huh. burned and okay. then tried to get on with his life. Yeah. He had a, ended up having an extremely good education yeah. in those prison camps because he had lived with people that had formed their own like prison universities. Yeah. Right. Walter Chiswick, I think. The Prisoners Vatican, the Mughals Vatican. Oh. Wow. Uh, and then he got out, but he was always blackballed. He was always, oh. you can't study here and blacklisted. So yeah. he just fled. He fled to Canada. Wow. Yeah. And from the day he landed, four or five years later, he had finished his PhD, finished wow. his studies, got his PhD and got an assistant professorship post. That is yeah. so inspiring. And he did these trips to the Arctic, and he wrote about how he experienced the natural world, about wow. how, you know, seeing Earth, how, how you know, the, the kind of history, how everything had developed yeah. uh, right there in the Arctic, mm. stones upturned. and That's inspiring. And uh, he's an amazing letter from, I forget uh, his name, but there's a cardinal who was heavily persecuted in, in the Czech Republic, and he wrote a letter. Okay. Um, uh, sort of encouraging him. Yosef uh, Svoboda. Yeah. Cool story. Reminds me a little of Walter Chizik's story. Yeah. He had the same experience learning philosophy and theology in the camps. He called it like the University of Lubyanka, the prison camps. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they used their time well. 
<laughs> we have no excuse here in the United States. No, yeah. yeah. First world problem. Yeah. That So Second Millennium is brought to you by me, Paul Geesting, and by Bill Schmidt. Find more of Bill's work at onwordword.net. If you enjoyed this episode, or it made you think, please subscribe to That So Second Millennium via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, or your podcast service of choice.